0: said it's been said that the heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. And so tonight, uh, I hope that you'll lean in with me as we continue in looking through the book of Colossians. And if you haven't been here, uh, you can find some things online. Uh, All of our messages are up there. But I wanna give kind of a little bit of a recap of where we've been. And then next week, Brian's gonna finish us out with one of the, the prayers that's said here in Colossians 4. That's a great challenge for us, especially as we move toward Easter. And then we'll begin our Easter series after that. And it's gonna be a fantastic series. Uh, really looking at one man's journey, uh, Lee Strobel, uh, and what he writes about Jesus in this two-year investigation that he did about the credibility of Christianity, and I think you'll find it not just fascinating, but uh, very intriguing. And maybe you're here, and, and and faith is still kind of one of those things that you're searching around, and this may be a series that actually answers some of those questions. Maybe you know, crosses the T's, dots the I's for you where it becomes a little clearer Maybe maybe God meets you in a special way. And so I just invite you to partake in that and be a part of that. We, in this series in Colossians, we've really been looking at, uh, at Paul and really his heart his heart as a teacher, his heart as a pastor, as a shepherd over uh, this church that he actually hasn't even gotten a chance to be to, but he just has a heart and a shepherd's heart for the church and for people to kind of walk out faith in Jesus, to begin to understand that and understand all of what that is from a theology standpoint. And we spent the first couple of chapters looking at some of this the anchors of theology that we have, that, that song that we just sang, that there is no other name, that, that's, this, that would really be the champion of this whole entire series that, because it's all about Jesus and Paul wants you to get that and wants you to see that and be gripped by it. And then he kind of turns the corner in chapter three and begins saying, okay, because of all of this, because of everything you have in Jesus, because of who Jesus is and everything he means to you and what he wants to be in your life, now that has implications to how you now live. And he starts drawing some comparisons and he starts looking at some things. We kind of looked at chapter three and said it's kind of like this spiritual wardrobe makeover, remember? And we talked about these are some things that he wants us to put off, some old ways of living, old habits and attitudes of the heart that say, okay, let this go and and replace it with this this new wardrobe. Replace it with this new garment of grace that's been empowered to you and gifted to you through Christ. And we kind of talked about some practices that can be a part of that. And then last week we looked at uh, this This principle that Paul kind of captures in chapter three, verse 17. Remember, we had this challenge to memorize this verse this last week, so how'd you do? Okay, did you, and maybe you're like, oh, I forgot. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, I'm going to put the verse back up for you, and I want you to just practice with me out loud, because I I really want this to kind of sink into your heart, and so uh, because we're a place of grace, if you didn't memorize it, hey, Jesus still loves you. And so let's do this together right now, okay? And so we'll start. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we said, hey, that's an all skate. Like whatever you do, well like, that's like everything you do. Like there isn't something that gets off the list of that. And so whatever you do in word, your speech, how you think, how you interact, how you communicate, and everything that you do in deeds, so the actions uh, of the heart that play out and the actions of the body and everything that you do, well, let it be honoring to God. Let it be honoring to Jesus. Let that kind of be the guide that steers how you navigate these relationships, how you navigate through life. We kind of gave this bottom line last week that said this, use your God-given passions, the talents he's given you, in a God-honoring way to build into a bigger God-sized story. God's creating a story around you. You get to be a part of it, and so he's inviting you in to be in that. Now, what Paul is really driving home is this notion that the spiritual life is not a partitioned life. We, we mentioned that last week. It's not, okay, I have my church life over here, and I have my social life over here, and I have my family life over here. The, the spiritual life is really like life, and it, it crosses all of these things. It's not partitioned in any way, that's why in whatever you do, in word or deed, that, that kind of crosses over any kind of partition you'd ever put up, that this, this idea of difference between secular and, and sacred doesn't exist. And in our culture, sometimes we kind of force it that way and we say, well, there is a difference between like secular stuff and, and, and sacred stuff and, and what Paul is really driving us, no, there's nothing to separate this, so whatever you do, if you want to design jeans well then design them for Jesus that's awesome you know if you want to flip burgers then do that if you want to own a burger place then do that if you want to be a lawyer then do that whatever you do give your best to it and he's going to reemphasize that a little bit tonight and where he's going is this idea of sometimes we we think of the spiritual life as well my eternal life and that's like when i'm done like when the role is called and my name's on it and it's time for me to go, then that's my eternal life with God then, that's heaven, right? And that's kind of where this whole thing starts. And, and Paul's saying, oh, no, don't think about spiritual living or your spiritual life as like a, a somewhere down the line kind of thing. It's a here and now thing. And life with God actually starts like the moment you say yes to Jesus. And that's where it begins, and it goes on into eternity, and so your eternal security is there, and it's a part of it, but God's very much interested in your here and now. In fact, um, there's a a verse in John chapter 10, one of my favorite chapters, talking about Jesus claiming that he's the good shepherd. And in there, he talks about, in verse 10, that the thief, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. And I think sometimes it's a shame when we think, okay, abundant life, well, that'll be when I get to heaven. Like it's a a future tense thing. I, I don't think in any of the Greek words I'm reading there that this is a future tense thing. This is a present reality thing. Jesus is saying, I've come that you may have life and you may have it to the full here and now and on in to eternity. Uh, that there, there's no barriers, there's no partitions or no time frame. that You have to wait your turn to have an impact and to have Jesus begin to impact your life and how you now live. Dallas Willard wrote a book called uh, The Divine Conspiracy. Great book, great author, um, kinda heady, but uh, in there he says this quote. I, I just wanna read it to you. He talks about it in chapter two of Divine Conspiracy this idea, this chapter all about sin management and kind of this idea that we have to manage our sin and and in order to appear better. And the reality is no, Jesus abolished our sin and he took it for us. We're not in the management game, we're in the relationship game. And he talks it like this, he says this, the sensed irrelevance of what God is doing, uh, what makes up our lives is the foundational flaw in the existence of multitudes of professing Christians today. They've been left to believe that God for some unfathomable reason just thinks uh, uh, kind of appropriate to transfer transfer the credit from Christ's account into yours and to wipe out your sin debt, but yet you have no trust in everything else that God can do in your life here and now. That somehow it was just believing in God It was about my golden Willy Wonka ticket to get me to heaven. And, and now I just trust in everything else, what the world says of how am I supposed to live my life and what priorities matter and, and, and that's where I try to gain my wisdom from. And what Dallas is writing and really what the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, this life with Jesus type life, this type of journey is to influence and impact everything your life touches, the key relationships in your life. It's to influence how you now live His grace is like skipping rocks. Anyone ever skipped rocks on a pond before? It's pretty fun, right? Um, Anyone really talented, like you've skipped it maybe seven, eight times, you're like, I'm a pro. Okay. Anyone ever thrown it and like it skips and just sinks, like right away after one, and you're like, man, I'm such an amateur at this. Uh, Okay, listen, there is hope for you. I think in heaven you're going to get 15 skips. Um, But. You remember being out there, and here's what the reality is, you skip that rock, and it sends the ripple across the pond, right? You know they continue, they don't just fade, they go all the way to the bank. And maybe what Paul is kind of saying is, look, this grace, this life of grace, this gift of Jesus, has been skipped across your life, and it's to send a ripple effect across every area and aspect of how you now live it's not just something that that, that doesn't have a, an effect it, it's something that's meant to have this effect and so he's going to lay out at the end of chapter 3 here some things about maybe some of the key relationships and key interactions that we have now before i read this i'm going to tell you you're going to be offended you're going to be offended okay but i'm reminding you i didn't write this God wrote it inspired by him I think you'll be inspired when we get through the end of it and that's my hope that's my prayer because in here what Paul's drilling home is everything he's been saying in chapter 3 this is about having an effect in how you now live and how you interact and how you react and what you choose to do in life. So he's gonna lay out maybe, uh, if for lack of a better term, I'll, I'll call it house rules, okay? And rules not in the sense of, uh, okay, you have to do this, you have to do this, but rules in the sense of like, this is what you aspire to. This is what, like, what you're for, okay? Uh, so think back to your growing up family, okay? I, I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, maybe that was a great memory. For some of you, maybe that's a very broken memory. And I wish it was different if that's the case. My family growing up was was pretty solid and uh, we had some house rules as the shoals, okay? So house rule number one was you respect your mama forever and always. House rule, kind of unspoken, but when it got violated, you were made aware that that was a house rule, that you respect your mama forever and always. That's the deal. And so I remember having a challenging <coughs> conversation with my mom one day, and my dad came around the corner, and he kind of caught it halfway. I don't know if he heard everything. But I remember the moment where I realized, hey, this is a house rule, uh, because it was made a point that this is a house rule, right? Uh, the shoals, we don't lie. That was another house rule. We don't lie. We tell the truth. We shoot straight. That's what we do. Shoal house rule number three is you finish what you start. You start something, you're gonna finish it. I only quit one thing in life, and that was the Boy Scouts, because I was 18. And you know what one of my biggest regrets in life is? That, that I should have finished. I was two merit badges away from an Eagle Scout. I should have, why'd I quit? That was the only thing I ever quit because for the shoals, that was a house rule. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor right next to you. I want you to think back to your family growing up experience. What was one of the house rules that you had or something that your family said, hey, this is what we're for. This is what we inspire to. This is what we are are all about, okay? So you got about 30 seconds. Share one house rule. Maybe if you're just sitting by yourself, then you and Jesus have a conversation uh, about a house rule from your family. You got 32 seconds, set, go. All right, some of those house rules, pretty easy to remember. Uh, some of them maybe you'll be thinking, laying your head on the pillow tonight, be like, oh, that's another one. Um, that, that's okay, those are good things. There's our life lessons. And you know and I've got that with my kids. There's the fact they roll their eyes when I whip out the, the statement of, hey, here's a life lesson. Um, because I've wanted to drill that into my kids all growing up because it was drilled into me. Here's some life lessons. Here's some things we aspire to. Here's some ways this impacts, because we're followers of Jesus, this is how it impacts relationships. And so Paul is gonna take everything that he's been talking about in chapter three and he's gonna drill it down to some primary relationships, not the only relationships that we have, but some primary relationships that a lot of people have. And so if you're in one of these or you have one of these and this this is kind of like circling around you, like if you have a job, you're here, okay? If you're married, this is in here. If you have kids and you're a parent, then this is in here. If you one day want to have, kids, this is here. If you one day want to have a spouse, then this is here, okay? And so here's what Paul is going to drive home, and and then I want to unpack a little bit of what this means, and then just draw a simple conclusion for us as, as we go. So here's what he writes at the end of chapter three, verse 18. He says this, wives, submit to your husbands as a fitting for who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the lord and fathers do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged then he goes into this long thing he talks about slaves and masters relationship this is not a commentary on paul whether slavery was good or bad this is just a reality of it okay there's about 50 to 60 million romans and there was about 15 percent that were in slavery as a part of the whole law of the land it's how it worked back in the first century, here's what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. How we could translate this is probably employees and employee um, employers. This is the relationship that you're to have. Uh, please them in every way. Try to please them in your time, and just when not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ, but if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done, for God has no favorites. Masters, or maybe employers, be just and fair to your employees. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. And so Paul's laying out this relationship, and at first, uh, here's the three key relationships he kind of lays out. Husband, wife, kind of this, this spousal relationship, children, parents, and in our context, we'd say employee and employers. And so for this first one, he uses a word that we don't like. Submit. What? Paul, oh, that's rude. Okay? I don't know if you know how that comes across in America but Paul, that's tough. Yeah. It's not easy. You know what's interesting about this passage? Is that so many people want to take that one word and they use it in an abusive way. And they don't read the next sentence. In fact, in Ephesians chapter five, Paul expands on this concept of husband-wife relationship. And he says to the wife, submit to your husband, says it twice, and then he goes on and he says four times to the husband, you love your wife. Now what's interesting is the Greek words that he uses here. For this Greek word of submit, this idea is, hey, This is to kinda willingly kinda go under some leadership. In a military term, for those of you who are in military, this is kinda like the commander officer and and you kinda just follow along. It doesn't mean you can't ask questions, doesn't mean you can't bring up things, it just says, hey, you're gonna tag along in this. Now, we don't like that. Nobody does. And what's challenging here is what do you do with this? Okay, if it's in God's word, do you just ignore it? Or, or is there something maybe that's here? So let me back way up a little bit, all right, like all the way to Genesis, like so of the beginning, okay? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's like the first sentence of the Bible, okay? And so in the beginning, there's this rhythm. You begin to go read through it in Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two. God is creating and God is creating and he's saying, announcing this is good. God creates and announces this is good. God creates and announces this is good. God creates and announces this is good. It's the creation rhythm until you get to Genesis 2.18. And in Genesis 2.18, something strange happens. God says for the very first time, and the law of first reference says you gotta take notice when something happens for the first time. And he says it's not good for man to be alone. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's a good verse for you husbands. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now we hear the word helper and go, well, pff, oh, that bristles against us because we don't let it seem subverient or like second class. In Hebrew language, it's very pictorial language. It literally is like gears that fit together. Now if you're a mechanic or have a watch or or anything that has gears to it, here's what you know about gears. You gotta have a couple in order for it to turn, right? Like it's gotta work. One gear doesn't just work by itself. You've got a couple and then it works and it actually functions the way it was intended to. So this isn't a subservient term at all. This is literally a completer. This is this idea, this notion, this pictorial language of saying, hey, it's not good for a man to be alone. God understands that we have aloneness needs, and not just from a physical standpoint, but aloneness needs of, I've gotta have a companion, I've gotta have someone that's traveling life with me, that's alongside me. God says, I'll make a helper, suitable. And so a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one, the two will become this Picture language of gears that work together to complete one another. Jerry Maguire was right. <laughs> so this idea of completeness, this idea of, of coming together, for some of you, you're like, I don't know what movie that was. Um, <clears throat> sorry. But you're to work together in this. And this idea of language, of, of submit to one another, but husbands love your wife. The Greek word for love is, remember Greek has four words for love, right? We only have one. So you can love a hot dog, your house, and your wife or your husband, and there should be a difference, right? Um, that's our language. That's the limitation of English. But in Greek, it says, husbands love your wife, agape your wife. You love her, with a deep, sacrificial kind of love. This self-giving kind of love. You, you make her the most important thing in your life outside of Jesus. And you love her that way. And here's what have come to be true, or find to be true, after doing a lot, a lot of weddings, a lot of marriage counseling. Not a 100% rule, but high, high, high percentage you show me a man who loves his wife like Jesus loves the church and I'll show you a wife who has probably absolutely no problem loving her husband and and working together in this. And so this idea of we usually take a word like submit and we pull it out, we use it as a hammer and the reality is it was never intended to be that. That's not what Paul is saying at all. What he's saying is, husbands, you love your wife. Wife, follow your husband. You work together in this. And as you move forward, you move forward better. And, and this is how you'd be, because actually in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that starts the whole section on husbands and wives, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. People forget that verse. Submit to one another because ultimately our Christian faith is about submitting to Jesus and letting him be the lead. So there's this pastor who's out to dinner, right? And he's at this crowded restaurant and somehow the conversation comes up with the table next to him and there's some people there and one of the the ladies says, hey, you're a pastor, right? And he goes, yeah, he's talking about it and and they're having a nice cordial conversation and then she asks the question, say, uh, I heard a preacher one time Say that the man needs to be the leader, and that if that if if you let both kind of be this lead type thing, then it 's kind of like this two headed you know monster, and you shouldn 't have that and so the man should be the lead. What do you think about that <laughs> i'm just trying to have steak um, <laughs> he says, well, before I answer that question let me let me kind of imagine with me. can you imagine that um, That if there was a guy who would love you with a genuine kind of love, that would believe in you to be the most fantastic person on the entire planet, that if every time he looked at you, he was just captivated by who you were and your beauty, and that he honored you, and that he listens to you, and he's crazy about you. He honors you in public, and he uses this, this old-fashioned term, he would, he would cherish you, and how he treated you and interacted with you, that he's not a person who's afraid to make a decision, but he values your opinion, and he leads, but he listens, he's responsible, he's not argumentative. You have no doubt that he would give up his life for you if it came to that, that you never worry about him being unfaithful because he only has eyes for you, And then he paused, realizing that there was now several tables that were kind of eavesdropping in. And he asked the question, could you follow a guy like that? And one of the other tables, one of the ladies spoke up and said, heck yeah! (laughs) Where do I find him? (laughs) And you just proved my point. Because deep down, that's what we long for. Listen, hear this. This is what Paul's saying. That's how Jesus loves you. That's how Jesus loves you. A deep, sacrificial, self-giving kind of love that says you first. I want to, I value you. I give everything for you. I've got eyes for just you. Friend, that's how Jesus sees you. Now, as a husband, we get to go model that. That's a tall task. That's almost like too intimidating for me. I'll speak for myself. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus says you don't have to do it alone. I'm gonna walk with you and empower you. Jesus values your marriage highly. Now, I know for some of you, you're here and you're like, well, that's great, that's a nice pep talk, but my marriage didn't go that way. Maybe it didn't play out that way in the end, and I'm really sorry. I really am. And if it was just you and me having coffee, I'd love to hear the story and I'd love to pray with you, and I wish it was different. But what Paul is saying here is not like land blasting for the past. He's not going back in time and trying to belittle you or, or beat you up. What he's saying is this is what following Jesus is about for your right now and for your future. This is what it's to be, and so maybe, maybe you've gotten divorced, and you hope that maybe somewhere down the line something's gonna turn. And I hope it does. And as you do that and as it gets there and if God allows that to be, then let this inspire you to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. If you're in a marriage now and you're like, man, I feel like we've stalled out a little bit, then fight for it. Don't quit. Take this and go, let's get real about this. Is this easy? Heck no. No, it's not. But this is what matters and what Paul is saying. And so he goes on, not just about husbands and wives, but about children, parents. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. I'm a dad of three. I know that Look. I know that, look, where you're riding your kid so much that it's like the spirit just gets sucked out of him. It's a horrible feeling. I've been there. And what Paul is saying is, look, don't let that be. Now, does that mean you don't have boundaries? No. True love is real love, which means it gets in the mess with you. And children need boundaries, they need guidance, they need wisdom. Children, uh, for children that are here, obey your parents. What it, techna is children there. It's children who kind of are living at home type thing. So if you're 30 and still living at home, hey, that still kind of counts. Um, but <coughs> I encourage you to get a job. We'll talk about that next. Um, but it's this idea of saying, hey, obey your parents. They have authority over you. Now, I know for some of you, you look at that and go, you don't know my parents. You're right, I don't. I don't. And I don't know how this gets dished out and how the cards fell in your life. I I don't know. What I do know is what Paul and what the scriptures say over and over is that it goes well for you if you live with a healthy respect and honor for your parents. There's a promise that's here in the Ten Commandments even that it goes well with you if you do. Now, fathers which he's speaking that Greek word there for fathers is literally both mom and dad, so parents. Don't embitter your children. So I'm out to dinner this week, right? And we're waiting for the table to open up and and things, and there's this little kid who's probably three, maybe four, and mom's talking to him, and and he's a little rambunctious and things, and and, uh, I don't tell people how to parent. Uh, I have a hard enough time with my three. Um, But I, I found my heart going out for this little one. Because I started counting how many times his mom said, stop it. You better stop it. I stopped at 25. And that was before they ever sat down at the table across from us. And I got to thinking how deflating that is if you have a boss who says that to you. Or if you have someone in your life who says that to you, you know. And so there's this great tension. And so how do you love and lead, but love well without embittering, without discouraging, without deflating? I wish I knew all the answers to that. I'd write a book. I think it's in the moments you're in, You gotta be led by the Holy Spirit. You gotta go with best practices. You gotta go with understanding. And when you do mess up, here's one of the a house rule for the shoals is I remember my dad coming back to me often in my room and he would apologize. And he would own something that maybe he didn't handle the best possible way. And he would we'd have a conversation about it. He'd ask for my forgiveness and, and I would obviously give it. And it was just, I had a great dad. And so I practiced that. Now, I think that's how you do it. That when you do make a mistake, that you own it and you go back and you say, hey, let's keep this relationship right because when I do embitter you or I discourage you, that's when drifts happen, right? It happens in every relationship, not just father, son, father, daughter, you know, mom, you know, like every relationship, when, when you don't work on it, it begins to drift and so it takes work. That's why this is hard. That's why I'm looking at this list, you don't just read through it and go, okay, got it, nailed it. This is hard to do. And so he goes on about this next relationship and again this isn't a commentary on slavery Paul's not, it's just the law of the land, it's the way it was in the first century and so what he's saying is this is how you need to work and so we kind of put it in our context of employee an employer and so like as an employee as a Christian employee you should be the best employee there because what Paul's saying is you're not just working for your boss. You're working for the boss. You're working for Jesus. And so when you've got to do some tedious things that you don't like, you suck it up, buttercup, and you do it. Okay? <laughs> that You just say, this is the way I've got to do it. As an employer, wouldn't you love to have someone like that as an employee, wouldn't you love to be able to say, I fully trust them? Like, I just, I love what they do, they bring 100% all the time. As an employer, wouldn't you love that? Well, yes you would. You dream about that, because you only get about 25% of it, right? And so you long for that, and so as a follower of Jesus, what Paul's saying is, look you, you don't just be uh, kind of men pleasers or, or people pleasers of who's at your job. You, you be Christ pleasers. You have a singleness of heart. You, you don't do a half-hearted job in anything that you do. You strive for excellence. You bring your best and you serve a worthy God because that's who your ultimate boss is. And he says to these employers, hey, you treat your employees well because you have a master as well that you're, that's watching over you. And so this whole relationship is to, to go very well. I love what Martin Luther King talked about, this idea of excellence. He's, he talked about the, the idea of a street sweeper. And he says, I, I tell you, um, your is, if your lot is a street sweeper, then sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. If you're a, a street sweeper, then you sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry you sweep those streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and on earth as they will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept and did his job well. That you do this. Because whatever you do, in word or deed, you do it all for the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Father through him to see how all this begins to fit together. Uh, I wrote this kind of a bottom line thought. Jesus' influence upon us is not just for our eternal destination someday. It's good, we got it. You got Jesus, you got eternal destiny, it's awesome. But it's for our life and living in our everyday. It's to influence and impact every area of life and every relationship we have. It's gotta begin skipping across the pond and rippling across your life and influencing and impacting how you act, how you interact, how you react. And it begins having an impact on how you live. And so that's the encouragement to us tonight is, okay, God, (laughs) that's a lot to take in. That's a lot to say, okay, Where am I at? And so maybe the challenge for you tonight is, okay, maybe it's marriage type thing or future marriage, that you, what you aspire to and what you want and what you desire. And so God, is there anything in me that you want to tweak or change or adjust that would make this better? How can I love my wife better? How can I love my husband better? How can I invest in them? Maybe it's parenting. How can I invest in my kids? Have I done something that's kind of kind of suck the spirit out of them. Just discourage them in a way. It doesn't mean I can't be tough and have boundaries and, 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 and kind of inspire them to their best. You should do that. But is there anything that I need to work on that's friction, that I need to work on this relationship? Maybe as an employee or an employer, is there anything that's there that, that you're saying, okay, yeah, I've been kind of slacking or I've been kind of, whatever they may be. Let you and God wrestle with that as we come to a portion as we remember the Lord's Supper, and we're gonna sing a couple songs here. Brian's gonna close us. We'll be off into the night, but this is one of those messages that just kind of sits with you for a little bit. So maybe this week, it's just gonna sit with you for a little bit, and maybe you don't know fully what to do with it right now, but God's gonna show you something this week that you can work on and that you can work with him on. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people that would heed this because it's your good and it's for our good that would impact the relationships we have. And so we come as, as broken people again, coming to your table to remember that it's Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection that made a way for us to have a relationship with you, not just eternally, someday, but like right now, in our here and now and for our everyday. And so in the midst of all of this relationship that we're building and growing and developing with you, would you help us see that you want to impact every area of life, every aspect of life, every relationship that we navigate in life. And give us a heart to want to follow your lead in transforming more and more our character that we might reflect you more and more to the people around us, the people we love, and the people we encounter along the way. So as we take this juice, as we take this, this cracker representing your body, We submit ourselves once again to you. You're the leader. So lead us forward as we worship you. Would you stir our hearts? We ask that in Jesus' name.